The following is a special bonus episode of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. Find them at wardlegal.ca. The last and only other time we presented a bonus episode was literally about two years ago, right around this time. That special episode focused on the then-new pandemic. I'm not going to lie, you couldn't really escape its gloomy tone. So this time, our second ever bonus episode, we're going to do things a bit differently because just now we're, fingers crossed, slowly and cautiously coming out of all of this. It, it seems only fitting that this bonus episode should offer some levity. We're going to start it off with this short clip from a man who has a special relationship to Kawartha Lakes. It's one thing to hold on to youth, but ease up on the grip or you'll strangle your dignity. We've all gone out for a pint with an old pal who's always two beers and one toke shy of a trip down Glory Day's memory lane and his 1977 winning overtime goal post-game puck bunny conquest. Huh? <laughs> now he's bemoaning his alimony crucifixion, collapsing portfolio, and the loss of his power wink. <laughs> oh, yeah, the power wink, huh? 35 years ago, he could shoot one at a cutie across the dance floor and never go home alone. Now his one-time power wink is powerless. <laughs> it's just not working like it used to. No wonder, you dink. It's coming from a beer-bloated, bloodshot, 58-year-old noggin. She probably thinks you're having a stroke. That is comedian Ron James. Ron James has returned to the stage. Well, let me qualify that, because despite all this back and forth and then open and not open of the past two years, the beloved comedian, with a nice connection to Lindsay, did have a stage. But that stage was in his living room, as he performed a series of really well-produced, nicely crafted Zoom shows. They were really more polished TV than the clunky, live-streamed, badly lit shows many of his industry peers attempted in the past two years. But James's temporary living room stage, let's hope it's temporary, a thing of the past, it's now gone. Ron James is now on a real, honest-to-goodness, live theatre tour with actual humans in front of him. That tour takes him to the Flato Academy Theatre on April 2nd. Ron James joins me on the line now. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. Right back at you, brother. It's so great to be, as the title says, back where I belong. <laughs> well, it's, hey. Uh, you know, those shows I did from my living room, they kept me alive, connected to the uh, the fan base, and uh, people seemed appreciative of it. You know, they could, they'd been in their pajamas for six months anyway, so watching me in their pajamas on New Year's Eve was, uh, was no trouble at all. Uh, but it was uh, as much of a lifeline as... Uh, Zoom was for all of us during COVID. Intimacy was not its strong point, and you never heard laughs. I deliver my stuff and leave a space, anticipating somewhere uh, in the uh, ether people were laughing. But it was kind of like I was delivering jokes from a spacecraft orbiting the Nebulon galaxy that was sending my bits back to fellow Earthlings. It was uh, a challenge, but I'm glad I adapted to it. And Keith Thomasek, my uh, IT guy, was brilliant. And we hired a couple of wise millennials with cameras and a teleprompter. And 
I wrote with Chris Finn and Paul Pogue. Well, let's talk about moving ahead then. Now that you can leave that spaceship, I, I know you've already done about a half dozen shows on this tour. So take me back to the 15 or, or 20 minutes right before you took the stage for that first show back. What, what were you thinking? What were you feeling as you were ready to be in front of a live audience and, and not one on the other side of a, a live streaming camera? Uh, the word that comes to mind is grateful. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, I never took this calling for granted, uh, ever. Um, all you have to do is uh, be stuck unemployed in uh, the paradise called Los Angeles for as long as I was trying to get a hold of the sitcom dream back in the early 90s. But this in particular, coming back after taking such a torpedo to the bow during the pandemic, to hear the rustle of anticipation with an audience I was tingling, bro. Hmm. Well, it's let's... Uh, it, it's uh, it's the way I used to feel during uh, the hockey playoffs when I was a kid, when you just in the dressing room and you knew that you knew that uh, what you loved to do was about to occur, and uh, you're just excited, anticipatory. And I had so much new material, and I think that's that's the game. Uh, uh, the game's the wrong word, but I think that's the role of the comedian now is to help an audience process the trauma of the last two years in the language of laughs to make sense of the chaos we're all walking through somehow. And I certainly hope that when people leave my two hour show that they feel lighter than when they walked in, because despite uh, the polarities that are affecting all of us and, and the tragedies in the world with the war and, and these uh, aberrant actions like the trucker's convoy that somehow a comedian is allowed to connect the dots and make sense of that chaos. Well, there's certainly a lot of fodder there, I'm sure. We, when we spoke about a year ago, right around this time, actually, for a, a newspaper feature, we, we talked a lot about your transition from the big stage in front of a real audience to the tiny space in front of a camera in your living room and the limitations mm -hmm. that that created. I'm just wondering now, Ron, what, what, what's it like now? What's the biggest adjustment returning to a stage in front of a live audience where you can pace back and forth and, and not be confined to that little area? Well, for those of you who, who've seen the li uh, my live shows in the past, you know that there's a certain... Um, kinetic energy that I bring to the stage when I'm delivering my content and I'd like to be physical. So I think that's one of the big things that I've been allowed to do once again is to actualize my material physically and to act it out uh, where in the living room I couldn't do that. But there were also benefits with the living room. It became more of a more of a storytelling process and ironically it brought me back full circle to my first one-man show up and down in shaky town one man's journey through the california dream and i started that i started reading that in uh in coffee houses in los angeles when i was out of work that's where its genesis was where you didn't have a big stage so i guess you're exactly it's not completely unfamiliar to being confined yeah to a small yeah pace. so it felt uh it felt familiar and uh having you know shooting it in my living room there was an intimacy to it and uh, so I guess the biggest difference between the living room and the stage is the stage allows me to physicalize uh, certain portions of my show that I otherwise wouldn't uh, in my living room. And also, you can feed off the energy of the audience. That's another thing. I mean, it's, you know, stand-up is a symbiotic relationship between the performer and the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphysical tennis match. 
the comedian delivers the joke and the audience returns it in the language of laughs. And we work in concert with each other. It's, uh, it's a peculiar art form in that respect. You can watch a drama and react, of course, and yes, but uh, uh, it's, not, it's not dependent on the verbalization and laughter. And I said that, you know, laughter is the thing that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. I love meerkats, but you never see one of their own doing a tight 10 minutes around the baobab tree about the time he saw a leopard get gored in the arse by a warthog. <laughs> we, we, are, we are unique in that respect. And then the third thing, I suppose, that is so wonderful about getting back is the sense of community. And to see people sitting shoulder to shoulder, uh, that's what I call social solidarity. And the response I've got to some of the controversial issues of the day uh, has been very reassuring. I was worried going out because everyone's, you know, I mean, all you have to do is go online to see how fractured, polarized, and vitriolic responses can be to a, a, a simple statement. But that's not the case. And uh, it, uh, an explosive and positive response in Ottawa to my content on that bogus convoy. You know, my uncle was in a convoy in 1941. It left Bedford Basin uh, in the Corvette Navy to protect merchant marine vessels loaded with petrol and munitions bound across the North Sea for Russia in the Battle of the Atlantic, never knowing when a German U-boat would put a torpedo in the bow of his Corvette ship and end his future with a watery grave. And there was no friggin' bouncy castle in sight. That, my friend, is a convoy. And nary a uh, portable hot tub either. So yeah, we could go on and on about the convoy, but it, it'll be anyway, it'd be a four-hour podcast. And I don't, I don't, yeah, it would, buddy. Which, I just yeah. wanted to make that clear. I'm glad. And, yeah. so, and I knew so we'd be on the same page. Some of the things that people have related to in a way that I found reassuring, that as much as we, uh, at as much as there was trepidation uh, initially as to what an audience would want to relate to, um, uh, it's been... You know, my biggest fear is that you know, with the rise of populism, uh, Canadians will lose their generosity and their and their civility and their ability to um, uh, at least have empathy for the gray areas and in discussion. And, um, you know, I've never been too overtly political throughout the entire show, although I land on those bases when it's called for. But I think that's why you have to put a really eclectic buffet out for your audience. You've got to give them a lot of everything. I teased in the introduction that you had a unique connection to Lindsay. And I know you and I have talked about this in the past, mm -hmm. your connection to the to the Academy Theater here in, in Lindsay. I hope I wasn't overstating the fact that you had this unique special relationship. Oh, absolutely relation. not. Okay, well, no, no, no. elaborate on that, please. Just a, a well, couple I'll of tell you, buddy. Yeah, I put it in my book. Uh, uh, in All Over the Map, I talk about the first time that I met... Uh, uh, I met my producer of, of uh, 23 years, uh, Terry McRae. He and his son had gone into the Lindsay Theater, and Ray Marshall was running it at the time. Anyway, I had done this. Uh, I had done this uh, 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 this talent showcase called Contact way back in 1999, and I wanted to book myself outside the clubs because I saw the writing on the wall, and it was a futile existence at best with a paltry wage. And I had a family to feed and simple Canadian dreams and maybe a vacation once a year or something. And so uh, anyway, um, 
I, uh, I booked my show at the Lindsay Academy Theater. They had 150 people from the Cadillac Club who were supposed to come. There was a Cadillac Club convention in town and locals. And we'd had a, I think it was an $800 amount that I booked, which of course, if you've worked in the clubs, know that that was just the Pharaoh's ransom. It was wonderful, right? <laughs> sure. Compared to what we got, you know, our two free beer tickets at the Rivoli. I went to do the show and only two people from the Cadillac Club came and maybe mm, 45 people from town. And Ray said, oh, I really took a bath here. Is there any way you can cut me a deal? I said, sure, let's, you know, 400 bucks is good. I understood. Anyway, about six weeks later, Terry McRae and his son come through and Terry's thinking about moving into comedy. Anyway, he comes into the lobby and Ray Marshall's there and he's talking to Ray and he said, I'm thinking I'm moving into comedy. And my eight by 10 was there and he said, this guy's good. <laughs> and so it's lesson learned. It's not always about the money. It's about good business relationships. On that note of good business relationships, I, uh, I want to play a clip here for you. Because coincidentally, I had coffee yesterday with Ray Marshall, the, the theater manager at that time uh, when you were here. And, and I asked him uh, to explain how he came to be introduced to you and, and why he decided to take a flyer on you to perform at, at the theater for the first time and, and what the outcome was from that first show. So I'm just going to play it here for you. It's, it's about a little over a minute. And then uh, just to wrap up, I'd like to hear your response for it. So well, the conversation actually started at a, a showcase and Ron had a table. And I spent two hours there, and I think most of those two hours was chatting with Ron or listening to him, because when he's even behind a table at a mini trade showcase, he's he's on. And I was infatuated with his work, and I'd seen him on Black Fly and a few other things. And we shook hands, we traded information, and I thought, this guy's got to come to Lindsay to the Academy Theater. I, I'm not a producer. But I guess there's an instinct about talent, good talent, that lands right where it should, whether it's in your mind or in your heart. It's pretty hard to explain, but it, it just lands that way. I mean, 125 people, they loved it. And then look what happened. And it wasn't just us. It was, it was Ron's hard work to get to Lindsay and to carry on. How does it make you feel knowing that he, he's constantly pointing to the Academy and to you as saying, I you feel, know, I feel blessed. I mean, it's part of a friendship that you don't expect, you know, but there it is. That's very, very kind. That was, uh, well, we, uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, life turns on a dime, right? So just hearing him describe you in those terms, the guy who works really hard and, you know, uh, it wasn't just us. What's, what, what does that uh, make you feel? Well, it's just very flattering, uh, Danny. I mean, you don't, you know, I mean, Jesus, you don't, I'm, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's, uh, look, my father had the work ethic of Job, and up until a year before he died, he was still working on the house that he'd bought 50 years before, tweaking this, tweaking that, you know, he always had the best, the best lawn uh, on our street, his, his house was always the last one, uh, he never ever went to aluminum siding. He always, he always, he and I always, always scraped and burned the paint off the shingles. And he was, he just took great care with whatever he, he tried to do. And I will be honest, the lethargy that I had as a young actor, just waiting for the phone to ring. I mean, I, I hit my mark when I got my, 
my acting jobs, and I certainly did the job that was required of me when I did all those commercials in an earlier incarnation. But to to shift the paradigm as much as I did to come back from Los Angeles, an actor, and answer this calling to make sense of the world on my own terms, I didn't want to approach it half-assed, and you have to work for it. Some people might get lucky and catch lightning in a bottle because they look a certain way or their talent happens to be the kind of note that producers are looking for at the time. But this felt real. This felt authentic. This felt organic. This work and hearing an audience respond to the way you decided to make sense of your world um, was so um, such an affirmation of the life force. And I think that's what stand-up's all about for me, is despite all our differences, for the two hours I'm on the stage, everybody in that room is on the same page. We look forward to sharing that page with you on, uh, on April 2nd. Thanks a million, buddy. That was a real touching clip by Ray. Uh, please give him my best. And thanks a lot for this interview, pal. Comedian Ron James performs at the Flato Academy Theatre on April 2nd. That show is almost sold out, but you can also catch Ron the following night at Showplace in Peterborough. Thanks for checking out this special bonus episode of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. And a special thanks, as always, to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, they've got you covered. Find them and what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. My name is Denis Grignel. Talk to you soon. Thank you.